Uh, we're going to review the main stories in today's newspapers. And with me in studio, Regina Doherty, Fine Gael TD for Meath East, and of course the Government Chief Whip, Ivana Bacic, who is a Labour Party Senator and with Trinity College Dublin, and an empty chair that today is representing so far, Daniel McConnell, uh, political editor of the Irish Examiner, who we are to believe, ladies, has been stuck in the traffic for the marathon, uh. which all of us managed to negotiate quite successfully. Yes. So, well, uh, I was on a bicycle. It was easier <laughs> coming from South Circular Road. And you were be- managing to beat them all as well, uh, all, all the people who are running in the marathon this morning. So good luck to all of them. You shouldn't be listening. You should be concentrating on the running. And Danny, you know, maybe just get climb over the barrier. You'll be fine. Hopefully he'll be with us uh, before we finish our newspaper review. And there's lots to chew on in the papers today. Let's go through the front pages. The Sunday Independent. Gardaí to carry out strike threat. Gardaí determined to strike despite last minute talks. Members of Angarda Siakana were said to be determined to act on the threat to withdraw Labour in what will be an unprecedented development that is likely to pose a significant risk to the rule of law in a move that will prove deeply unsettling for the public and possibly cause serious damage to the reputation of the force in the country. Around 12,000 members look set to take effective strike action on Friday for the first time in the history of the state. Uh, They go rather unusually on the front page of the Sunday Independent with a poem uh, by Joseph O'Connor which is there. I won't read it all because it's a bit long but uh, worth a read if you have some time later. Uh, The Sunday Times goes with Hillary at war with FBI as poll lead slumps. Hillary Clinton's campaign declared war on the FBI last night in a desperate attempt to stop her chances of becoming America's first female president being destroyed by a fresh scandal over her secret emails that has managed to bring Anthony Weiner, um, a particularly reprehensible individual, into the story as well. Um, Voters may tackle quickie divorce. Irish voters could face a divorce referendum before an abortion poll as a Fine Gael proposal to reduce the compulsory waiting time for separated couples appears to be facing no opposition. Not even from the Iona Institute, reports the newspaper, which is interesting because that probably would have sent the country into apoplexy about 20 years ago. Uh, The Sunday Business Post, uh, a very interesting story on Brexit and the impact it's going to have here. It's not all good. Uh, Tax take to plummet as one in three shoppers break for the border, according to the front page. Red Sea poll shows border counties to be decimated. Surge in traffic as British online retailers benefit from falling pound. The state is facing a hemorrhage of tax revenues with new figures revealing that one third of all shoppers in the Republic plan to cross the border to the north for Christmas to take advantage of the slump in Stirling. The situation is amplified in border counties with the data showing 56% of people living in those counties will travel north. Uh, there is also a great yarn about Subway. I don't know how often you eat in Subway but um, one of the things I don't like about Subway is the smell, that kind of sickly smell you get from the bread when you're passing by. Some people like it, it's their thing. But they say that uh, they're after losing a VAT battle on the front of the Sunday Business Post. When is a piece of bread not a piece of bread, says Francesca Common, when it is a sweet dough bread with an exceptionally high sugar content served in Subway. That's according to the High Court. In a recent ruling, Justice David Keane upheld a decision of the Revenue Commissioners to disqualify the bread served in Subway with a VAT exemption. Under the Tax Consolidation Act, a zero rate of VAT applies to the supply of bread with less than 2% fat, sugar and bread improver. But the taxman 
a wily man, the taxman. The taxman found that white bread used in Subway sandwiches contained 8.6% of sugar. Well, that explains why my kids love it now. <laughs> <laughs> now you know. It's yeah. extraordinary. 8.6%. Who would have thought? Um, there's a big picture of a pizza on the front of the Irish Mail on Sunday, which is unrelated, but um, they go with their front page. RTE stars targeted in X-rated web hoax calls for tough new laws to crack down on the posting of manipulated intimate images online as Gardaí cannot prosecute the offenders. Um, this is a story that mocked up porn images of RTE stars. And to be fair, it's not just RTE stars. If you read the paper on the inside, it's uh, pretty much any woman on television can be subjected to this. Um, Gardaí have discovered more than a dozen incidents around the country involving pictures of teenagers. Um, this is about Facebook stuff, but they say that TV um, people are getting caught up in it as well, which presumably means any woman can get caught up in it by somebody who has a, an active imagination and uh, Microsoft clip art. Um, on the front page of the Sunday World, Nick or Treat cops dramatic Halloween raid on alleged 2.3 million euro suburban meth lab and uh, interesting photograph there of a guard wearing pretty serious looking chemical gear passing a sign saying Happy Halloween. So kudos to the photographer for getting that one. Um, let's begin our talk uh, with the guard the strike. Um, Regina Doherty of Fine Gael. Looks like it's going ahead, doesn't it? Well, actually, I think um, the headline or the, the subtext of the Irish Independent is probably unfair to guards this week in saying that they're determined to strike. Um, the ones I know would give their left leg not to strike next Friday um, because they hope that a resolution will be found between now and next Friday. And that's where our uh, focus on our aims is. And you, you've alluded to it yourself that there are talks ongoing today uh, and negotiations. Um, and I will be positive that we can find some sort of a resolution so that they don't have to go on strike next week because they don't want to. Now, they will, but they don't want to. And I think there is um, there's a big message in that for us as politicians and not just you know, the Department of Justice and deeper. Um, but we need to recognise that there is low morale uh, arising from some of the decisions that um, have hit the force over the last number of years, but also for other reasons. Um, and there needs to be change within the Gardaí, but we need to recognise that they are unhappy and to do as much as and, and everything that we can to make sure that we alleviate um, the concerns that they have, but also do our level best not to get them to strike next Friday. But is there a possibility... Uh, that as part of this contingency plan the commissioner may have to turn around and tell guards who want to individually go on strike they have to report for duty. I mean, is that going to happen? That's not going to help those negotiations if that's what comes out on Tuesday. Well, I, I can't tell you what the contingency plan is because I don't know what it is. Um, and actually, I don't even know where you'd begin to try and find a contingency plan to replace 12,800 guards on the street and every single thing they do which impacts people's every actions on a daily basis and you don't even think about it you just take them for granted because they're there and they mind us um, so I, I would say the Commissioner has a very difficult job to try and find a contingency plan but I actually genuinely hope we don't get there I hope that we can find agreement this week Has it not and again I, I, you're, you're bound by a lot of uh, confidentiality here but Clearly, this has been discussed at Cabinet. This hasn't come as a surprise to you that you have to draw up or you have to be aware of a contingency plan. No, no, it certainly has been discussed, but the details of which haven't been shared with us. But um, there obviously is a contingency plan. Um, but what we're more focused on at the moment is, is to try and make sure that we don't need one. Try and make sure that we... Um, and it's not that we don't appreciate the concerns that have been raised. We do. Um, from my perspective, I think it's very difficult to see that what an agreement that was had with the department uh, and AGSI a number of weeks ago unravels so quickly. And I can't see why it unravels. Mm. Ivana, isn't that probably the crux of this? That what you might have here is two organisations, the GRA and AXI, who might very well get more money or a better deal or some 
something worked out by the Labour Relations Commission that go back to these clearly very angry men and women who might not necessarily accept what is there because they are so angry. Well, I mean, clearly there's all sorts of uh, potential uh, fallout and I think all of us would hope in the short term that the talks at the Workplace Relations Commission will avert the strike on Friday because clearly it's deeply troubling and concerning to see, to think that the Guards might withdraw Labour. It is unprecedented, although some of us remember the blue flu from time before. But in a former life practising as a criminal barrister, I mean, I know just how much you need Guards there to keep so much running, not just emergency situations and, uh, you know, and crime clearly, but also things like criminal courts and administration of justice and so on. So it is hugely troubling short term. Long term, I agree, there is, with you Jonathan, there is a need for a more long term approach. And I think the government has failed really to grasp the metal on this. And they are facing into a serious amount of public sector union unease and and unrest at present. Um, Brendan Howland did a very good op-ed, I thought, for The Independent on Friday, saying that when he was Minister for Public Expenditure, uh, with with a negotiated Haddington Road, that was then rolled forward into Lansdowne Road. So I think people often forget that the Lansdowne Road agreement that the government are sort of clinging to now um, really was negotiated before Haddington Road had expired and and listeners will be aware that agreement paved the way for restoration of public pay. What Howland is suggesting now, and I think it's the most sensible approach is that a new public sector pay negotiation would begin now with a view to rolling forward Lansdowne Road into that and moving that forward um, so that we would see then a, a path forward for all of those who are disaffected okay. not just guards and teachers but for all of those but I could, could I just finish Jonathan also yep. in the Shannon I should say we had a motion on an employer labour conference as a standing conference that would try and address these issues and preempt the sort of unrest we're seeing and in terms of the Gardaí there's a very particular issue you know we should be looking here at giving Gardaí rights to negotiate at collective level instead of these sort of ad hoc or one-off negotiations like we're seeing now at the Workplace Relations Commission. One of the key grievances the guards have is that they don't get involved in, they aren't entitled to be involved in the national pay negotiations okay. and conditions negotiations. I, I agree um, wholeheartedly with everything that Ivan has just said and that's why the Pay Commission was established by government two weeks ago well, to do advisory that. though, Regina. It wouldn't have the same power yeah, as, well, a, as No, a but it's a first step. Conference. I mean, the agreement that we're currently working on doesn't run out for another 18 months. So what this is, is this is the Pay Advisory Commission Commission that's going to be, that was established by Cabinet two weeks ago to look at the overall public sector pay to see how we can get back to full pay restoration where we can given the growing economy which is growing and albeit maybe not as fast as people would expect it or like it to be but also against the backdrop of the challenges to that economy uh, such as Brexit but also um, we do have 18 months uh, I'm sorry so I just lost my train of thought there for a second the second point is is that the Gardaí should be able to avail um, of a, a right of individual or collective uh, negotiations with them and that was part of the Hogan review that was agreed between yeah, AXI a couple of weeks what, ago what is annoying, annoying though is that this happened late last week where they were brought into the WRC under the, the mechanisms of the state as they're often described but it took the threat of strike action one week out for that to happen. So but, your okay, government is responding yeah, but, uh, under right. threat. I know what you're saying is things. true but it's not fair because put it in context what was agreed with AGSI when, and they polled and balloted their own people and agreed 70 to 30 not to have strike action on the basis of what was agreed which was that uh, the Hogan Review was going to look at them and they would get what they wanted within a number of weeks. That's ready to roll probably next week or the week after. So actually I feel that AGSI have preempted the outcome of what they agreed, which is why it's so difficult to understand what's changed since they sat around, agreed what they agreed at the table, balloted on it, voted 70-30 to accept the agreement, and now that's unravelled. And that's difficult, to be honest with you. One of the things I want to talk about later on, and we'll be speaking with a former assistant commissioner, is, is the basic concept we have in this country, which is policing by consent. 
the law we don't have guards with guns we don't have police officers with guns they don't uh, do things in a heavy handed manner because the vast majority of people consent to the laws being there and living by them if Ivana this goes ahead on Friday I think that that basic concept is going to be very damaged by this and and is that lost in this discussion? Well, I think you're right to raise it. And I do think that for many rank and file Gardaí, and indeed for senior Gardaí too, that is a real fear they have, is that taking action of this sort will will undermine the, the trust that's there between them and the community. And don't forget, of course, this has also come at the, uh, um, as, we, as we've come out of several years of ongoing issues about policing with whistleblowers, treatment of, and a maltreatment of whistleblowers within the Guardi. An absolutely damning report by the Guardi Inspectorate last year, by the way, which was appalling, uh, you know, just pointed out so many inefficiencies, so many problems within the Guardi, in particular, lack of supervision of trainees coming in. And all of those things contribute to really serious loss of morale among the Guardi and I think you're right that this could that if this goes ahead and as I say we all hope it will be averted on Friday, before Friday but if this does go ahead I think there is a real concern that it will erode public trust more which was already shaken mm. by revelations about whistleblowing and, 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 pe- and dysfunctionality within uh, the Guardi. Regina people will turn to the government and say well you're responsible for making sure that we are safe we are making, you're, you're responsible for making sure that we have police officers on our street and, and, and they're not there. Which is why we're working so hard to make sure that Friday doesn't go ahead I mean the impact of and you have to recall the, the guards have actually already striked for two days um, and the Irish public haven't seen the impacts of that but if the strike goes ahead and so there isn't you know a, a, a disconnect in the relationship or the expectations of Irish people that we are safe um, the stuff they did last or, uh, on Friday and Friday previously doesn't really impact on those were much more normal people's lives yeah, yeah so okay the, the sergeants and inspectors yeah, not using the, pulse yeah. refusal of putting stuff on yeah. pulse and interacting on um, managerial stuff um, if the strike goes ahead next Friday everybody will notice. It isn't something that's not going to be felt by people and it will have an impact on our relationship with the Guardian, you have no doubt. Uh, and depending on what happens on the Friday in the world of criminality, it, you know, it could potentially have a very serious impact, which is why they're not doing what they're saying they're going to do lightly. But that's also now come back to government and to the labour relations mechanism. It's also why we're trying extremely hard to find a, a route to stop the strike from actually happening. Mm. Um, at this stage it looks like it's going to happen we will find out Tuesday if there's a contingency plan if it has to be implemented what's what's going to be done and it'll be down to a skeleton Gardaí possibly the army they haven't been ruled out either but to give you a sample of what people are saying James in Dublin 3 says the teachers and the guards behaviour to the public is to use children and the rest of us as shields they're money grabbing and motivated by personal financial gain they don't care about the public and actually now you know what and I don't know who James is and I don't mean to be rude I think that's extremely unfair we have entry-level Gardaí working on €23,000 a year. And when I hear um, one of the stories that you read at the opening of the programme was that Noel Rock is getting a hard time for saying that he won't take his pay restoration. When I hear people um, looking for restoration on higher salaries and expecting the guards to go out and to put their lives uh, at risk on a daily basis for grand. You know, like they're not doing this lightly. They do. They genuinely have a grievance. And I say that knowing the government doesn't have a magic wand to be able to fix everything that's wrong with them overnight. And we are trying, but they're not doing this for the crack. Mm. You know, and they and have I a real... don't think that view would reflect the majority. Really yeah, I don't no, think, well, I it, think ref- it reflects James's view, possibly not many certainly. others. But I do listening. think what we need to see from government is a clearer view for, public, for those in the public sector, yeah. a clearer pathway to restoration. And I think it may be 18 months from the end of Lansdowne, but we need to be planning for the end of Lansdowne now. And there's no real sense of that, particularly from the Minister for Public I've done the same thing for the last three weeks. I'm going to throw to this panel as well. 
we, we talk about public sector and public sector restoration and the people who are at home who are working in the private sector and I'm conscious that I'm talking to two politicians they say well where's my restoration how come I can't get back to 2008 how come I can't get that job back and there's this silent grouping out there who are screaming at the radio saying I'm delighted that they're calling for pay restoration but why should they have it and I don't well, first of all, the economy as it grows will allow the private sector to be able to pay more than they had when they were in difficulty. And that's under normal circumstances. But also you have to remember, now it's slightly changed when we had benchmarking um, and we're not allowed to use that, that word social anymore. partnership. Yeah, but actually, you know what? It, it, obviously, we have learned the lessons from it because it took arms and legs and ran off with itself and it shouldn't have ever, public sector pay shouldn't have ever been benchmarked against the highest growing sector in the country, which is effectively what it was in the IT sector back in the day. Um, there is a requirement obviously for our public services to be paid and public servants to be paid. Uh, we took from them for the last number of years and we do have to as the economy and the emergency but we should lessons we, should give we back some what we Should we be held to ransom by unions who decide to step out of the process and threaten strike action? I think um, as a parent with three kids who were off on Thursday, I think the ASTI used the strike card far too quickly. Um, because the normal rule of thumb is, is that it is a last resort when you haven't been able to negotiate and use exhaust all avenues of negotiation. And I don't think they did that. And I actually think from the softening of the language from the ST last week, I think they recognise that. I think it's I don't think it's helpful to talk about unions holding people to ransom. I think it's perfectly understandable, as you say, that many people in the private sector will feel, as you do, aggrieved. I, you know, I, I've, my partner's in the private sector. And, you know, of course, we all hear that all the time. But I do think that all of us, public or private sector, are users of services like education, healthcare, yeah. policing, inevitably, local authority services. So all of us have an interest in ensuring that public okay. services are well run and that, they're, and, and that we don't see strikes. And Ste- I think everyone would want to see that. Stephen in Dublin says, didn't the new entrant guards joined the force knowing what the terms and conditions were. I think there's probably a difference between signing up for something and a career and then the grim reality of what's in your pay packet at the end of the first month. And uh, Jim is probably in James's camp. Uh, hopefully not the same person. Jim says, don't be fooled. There are no guardies sleeping in cars. They're not that badly off. The government should stand firm with them, says Jim, uh, who is pinning his colours to the mast. The good news is Daniel McConnell has overtaken the man I saw dressed <laughs> as the Eiffel Tower in the Dublin Marathon and is uh, continuing to make his way to the studio apace, hopefully to join this panel well, discussion I later on. To, uh, Runner dressed as Elvis, which was fantastic. Actually, <laughs> I don't know how he was managing to run with the weight of the wig, but um, I mean, it's fantastic to see so many. And I should give a shout out to Aon Reardon, my colleague in the Shannon, who's running for the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. But it's just, it was brilliant to see so many out yeah. and a perfect day for it in Dublin. It's it is a glorious day. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's actually, really glorious day. I, I, I can't imagine Daddy's going to be overly impressed with the marathon <laughs> yeah. by the time he does make this. <laughs> he studio. may have a different view of it. <laughs> Stand, uh, stay with us because we're going to talk about people heading north uh, to do their Christmas shopping. It would appear they're going to go on their drove. And the breaking news of the morning is Daniel McConnell has made it through the marathon to join us. Daddy, good morning. Good morning, Jonathan. Lot, apologies. Lots of roads closed. They were. <laughs> and uh, if you want to go through it, literally I was diverted from Walkinstown to Churchtown to Dundrum, Goatstown, and eventually managed to turn it towards the city centre at Stillorgan, my old where I grew up. So, well, you, know. you knew all the rat runs in there, yeah, did you? Yeah, yeah well, okay. I feel like I've run 26 miles already myself <laughs> this morning. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. I want to just go to some texts that have come into 53106 because the public private sector thing, as usual, is pressing buttons. Thank you, Jonathan, for mentioning private sector and business. That pair, Ivana and Regina, that's you, don't have an ounce of respect for wealth creators. 
Uh, do you want to handle that, anyone? Well, as I say, my partner's private sector, small manufacturing industry, and a lot of friends and relatives. So I don't. I think this public-private sector divide is actually much more talked up than it really exists. Yeah. Most families and most households have a combination of public-private, and there isn't really the big divide. But you know, I, do, I think all of us would remember during the during, particularly after the crash, there was a huge amount of sort of of, of pitting of public versus private yeah. sector. I think it's died away, which is very helpful as we see the economy recovering. But uh, it could start but, again, though. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. And that's, as I say, why we do need a clear pathway from government on on this, on public sector pay talks and, you know, a smooth process and an anticipation of a smooth process, because otherwise we see things breaking down. Okay. That's why you need to, to see now what the government are intending to do when Lansdowne Road runs out. And I don't see that currently. I want to mention Nigel in Cavan, who's texted in as well, because we were obviously getting a lot of people who were opposed to the guard of the strike. He wants to make a couple of points. He says, firstly, if the guard do not strike, they will lose all credibility. Secondly, a guard of the strike will be invisible in all rural areas, as they are not policed at the moment, except for checkpoints for motor tax. And finally, if a guard is only getting dole level payments, what would you, how could you expect professional level policing? Says Nigel uh, in Cavan. So I suppose that there's a there's more to that story than a simple give them more money and they'll be happy. Um, let's talk about this migration of shoppers north and it it is put into sharp focus on page five of the Sunday Business Post by Barry White who says an Xbox is almost €100 cheaper in Newry or Enniskillen than in the Republic. It's not the only bargain and northern shopkeepers are hoping for a bonanza. Mm. Of course Santa Claus is going to make most of the Xboxes this year but if any generous aunts and uncles Danny uh, were looking to buy one why wouldn't they go north? Absolutely and this all has echoes of the crash, in particular when Brian Lennon upped the VAT rate, and it, it, it led to a huge exodus of people up up north. And I remember vivid, vivid memories of a, of one of the national days of strike where Coppers was busy the night before, and the road in Yuri was kind of a five five mile tailback. Um, like people will ultimately vote with their pockets and particularly at Christmas time when you're getting those levels of savings of course you're going to head north and get those sort of savings and you know this is the difficulty that the government find themselves in because uh, this is one of the very real impacts of Brexit and and the uh, you know, I just think you know. I think retailers here are going to have a very bad, bad, bad year. But this I is bad for your constituency, Regina, because a lot of the retailers in Meath are going to lose business because of this. Everybody from the the the, the super value, the local super value, up to the, the the Harvey Normans. Yeah, but see, as Jenny said, like people do vote with their pockets, and when there is such a difference between the exchange rates, um, then there obviously is very good value in taking a trip. Um, and that's not to be encouraging people to do so, but you know, it's weird is that for the last couple of months in general conversation people have been looking uh, we're all talking at a political level um, or a commentator level of the impacts of Brexit and trying to figure out what the long term impacts is this is a very real impact um, and actually to normal people they'll see it as a positive but in actual fact it's going to be a real negative to our retail industry that has struggled for the last number of years and is only getting back on track mm. so it's a deal it's a real difficult one to, to manage I don't know what can be done obviously in between now and the Christmas period in the next kind of five or six weeks to try and alleviate people's want to go north. And I think it's it's, it's a real example of Anna of how nobody really knows what's going on with Brexit and what the impact is going to be. The the sterling is one thing, and and then you have Arlene Foster, who is the North's first minister, um, making accusations that political instability in Dublin is dictating uh, its approach to Brexit and that is trying to poach Northern Ireland investors as well. So obviously she's pro Brexit. 
child so her comments have to be viewed in that context. She, but, uh, she is and she's in the very strange position of being a pro-Brexit first minister who's in, a, in an area where in, the North, in Northern Ireland where the majority of the population voted against Brexit, voted to remain in the EU and where she has also been uh, a loud voice against any sort of hard Brexit and against any sort of hardening of the border between North and South. So I think she's in a difficult position because it's so clearly in the interest of Northern Ireland that the UK would have stayed within the EU and that's how the majority of people in the North saw it, that's how they voted, that's how she, you know, Sinn Féin and other parties saw it but, uh, and yet she's now having to preside over a Brexit that they don't want so I think it's she's in a difficult position. Now I must say we have a, a discourse on Brexit on Wednesday of this week. Which she the has not, which she has decided not to come to. And yeah, I was going to say that, I think it's unfortunate she's not coming. You know the idea is to have an all-island dialogue and to have representatives not just from political parties but also from community groups and so on. I think it's a good initiative. I think the problem we are we, we, is that none of us know exactly what Brexit means. Even Theresa May who keeps saying Brexit means Brexit mm. has been unable to define it any more in any more detail. And, 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 that's, so that's, the and that's the problem. We have the short term issue of people are going to go to Newry because they want to get a bargain and we have the long term issue of not having the faintest notion. You, you look in the papers today Nissan that was going to close his factory in Sunderland were sniffing around Cork for the mm. idea of opening a factory down there. Now that would have been music to the ears of the politicians in Cork but uh, Theresa May has managed to convince them somehow to hold on. Is there more of that stuff going on do you think? Well, I thought it, there was a briefing given by the Department of Teacher this week as to where Brexit stands you know, from a Dublin perspective and we heard that you know the IDA have already had I think over a thousand queries from UK based firms, London based firms particularly see whether or not uh, they could re- relocate over here. So that, of course firms, companies, whoever else are going to look at whatever ad- you know, advantages they can get. Coming to Ireland obviously gives them a certainty that they're in the European Union which they don't have uh, at the moment or they're not going to have in the future going to Britain. I thought though in terms of uh, you know if Anna's correct this idea of an All-Ireland Forum is a very good idea to try and at least get heads around the table to just kind of I thought politically the Taoiseach handled it incredibly badly by announcing it without even running it by Ireland. <laughs> the timing Foster. was wrong. The timing but, you know, was but allowing a northern DUP leader to slap around a government, you know, a Dublin government is manna from heaven from an Arlene Foster point of view. And it just, it was naive. Charlie Flanagan certainly made his uh, unhappiness known that he certainly wasn't in that loop when that thing was announced or floated. So I certainly think, you know, you know I would give the government kudos in terms of the intent. I would give them a, a red card in terms of how it handled it. Regina Doherty. Do you think, in fairness, that she would have given a different answer had she received a nice little phone call with a warm welcome? Well, I'm going to tell you she wouldn't have. And so that's, therein lies the problem. And the difficulty for Arlene Foster is, is that she's the co-guarantor um, of 50% of a, an agreement to keep peace on an island um, and to build an industry in the north of Ireland and an economy in the north of Ireland. And she's sitting over um, presiding of an economy that is growing at a tiny percentage of the rate that the economy 50 miles down the road is growing. Mm. She doesn't know what she wants. She doesn't know what her partners in government want. What she very clearly wants or knows is that she has to represent people who know exactly what they want, which is to remain in the EU. True. And, I must and you know what? She's never going to learn what she wants if she doesn't sit and listen to what other people True, want. But, but I mean, the manner in which this problem. was handled, and you may be correct that she may still have said no, but the the like the, the vista of Enda Kenny standing up beside Arlene Foster and getting, I won't use it, but bitch slapped by Arlene Foster saying no because he hadn't even run it by her. Like. Come here, but I'm not being funny. Do you think the Taoiseach is at home worrying over the fact that she scored one when ultimately what we all need to do is just score one for the country? Well, I would have you thought know, that so these she's, things it's do a matter misjudged from her perspective if she thinks it's more important 
political say political score than it is for a national I, I really hate, I really dislike I should say the way Arlene Foster takes pot shots mm. at the at, at the Republic and any chance she get I saw a speech this week where she said or an article yesterday where she said you know we've all seen what the EU did to the Republic of Ireland and no you know that she's always doing this instability in the Republic and it's just a it looks petty and refusing to take part in dialogue refusing to come south for events but it is that petty clearly it doesn't look petty it is petty so are we saying that we uh, hark back to the lovely halcyon days of uh, Ian Paisley's rule in the DUP no, or the the no obviously not right? but you know what we are an island I know we're two distinct jurisdictions but at the end of the day the um, the economic forces of that the United Kingdom leaving the EU are going to equally affect the north as they are the south we need to at least communicate this isn't a threat that you know I, I appreciate maybe somebody has pushed a button to say that this was an opportunity for United Ireland okay. that's as remote today as it was six months ago uh, lots of people texting in on the idea of heading north uh, Noel Cloney um, who puts the plug in for his company Cloney Audio good morning to you Noel all our UK source products are priced in sterling just convert to euros on the day and uh, you need the after sales service as well which isn't great if you're living in Cork and you bought something in Newry uh, John at Leakes says I'm upgrading my camera soon 800 euro in Dublin or 514 pounds which would be what 560 euros in Belfast and someone else makes the point it's odd that ordinary folks relief from austerity measures has come through a slump in sterling mm. uh, rather than money that they're earning themselves uh, Regina this story by Hugh O'Connell in the Sunday Business Post the headline Kenny deluded on leadership question says Fine Gael TD um Fine Gael TDs have accused Tisha Gendy Kenny of deluding himself and making bizarre statements about remaining on as Fine Gael leader for another two years um they're quoting John Paul Phelan we think it's Kilkenny if I'm not mistaken Um, Kenny is deluding himself Uh, he won't be Taoiseach in August 2018 if he remains there will have been an election before then and he's committed to leaving before an election well, I don't see why there would be an election before 2018. We have a three years confidence and supply agreement uh, with Fianna Fáil, unless, of course, they're shaken by the Red Sea polls this morning. Um, the government passed its first budget last week. The finance bill went through second stage to committee stage this week. Social welfare bill is coming next week. There isn't a chink, and actually, if anything, the development of the relationships between the Independent Alliance and Fine Gael and Dennis and Catherine Sapone uh, improve every single week. Um, there are people obviously in, in Fine Gael that would like to see a change of leadership now but right now we have a stable cabinet that's growing and developing in the relationships and we have a programme for government to achieve over the next number of Not years. Not ideal for the government chief whip though to be reading this on the Sunday Business Post this morning and, and, and reading other statements Brendan Griffin the Fine Gael TD is described as bizarre that Enda Kenny might stay on till Pope Francis visits in 2018. Look, it, it, Are you going to have words with them? No, not at all, because they're entitled to their views. But it doesn't change, you know, or um, affect the weekly cabinet meetings, the decisions that are made, the 600 individual items in the programme for government that need to be achieved that were promised um, in manif- joint manifestos. But, like, different people have different reasons for saying what they're saying. So... Yeah, I mean, Regina's done a very fine job of holding the line there and, and fair play to her, that's what she has to do as Chief Whip. I think the reality is somewhat different. She talks about potential chinks. One very real chink is that when the finance bill and the social welfare bill are taken at their committees, you're now in a position where Fianna Fáil are not going to have to abstain from the votes or they're going to actually have to support and vote with the government because otherwise the numbers would mean that the government and the opposition, the other opposition would be tied and therefore the new measures would fall. So therefore Fianna Fáil are now in this very uncomfortable position of having to vote for the government if things are going to pass. That is not sitting well with a lot of people within Fianna Fáil. There's a lot of nervousness um, within both Fianna Fáil as to whether or not confidence and supply is working. You would have read all about it in my fine column in the Irish Examiner yesterday morning. (laughs) Um, But I also think there is the issue of uh, the leadership 
um, within Fine Gael is kind of muddying, muddying the waters. So hang on a second. Are you saying that Arlene Foster, who we've all spent the last 15 minutes giving out about, is actually right when she talks about instability in the government in the South? Well, I mean, of course it's in, unstable here. We're in a minority government relying on the, on the uh, you know, the, the, the majority is Michael Larry. That's the difference between legislation getting through or not getting through based on Fianna Fáil abstaining. Uh, you've, you know, you've a majority of one. Uh, and that one is looked at, uh, you know, as Michael Larry. So how is that stable? It's not. Very little is getting done. Legislation has virtually ground to a halt. The doll is uh, is is skewed beyond belief. You have smaller parties and independents getting much more of the speaking rights than they should be, you know, based on proportion. Michal Martin made that very point to the account caller in a, in a letter last week. So for all of this new reform and new politics, it simply isn't working and ultimately the public are getting a raw deal. Well, the public might be getting a raw deal, but they're not exactly flocking to the big parties in their droves. The Sunday Business Post poll this morning, if it's rather samey-samey really. Fianna Fáil down one, still the biggest party though. Fianna Gael are on 25. Sinn Féin dropped two to 13. They'll be unhappy with that. The independents, uh, those not in government, they're on 10%. The only bump here really is, is for the anti-austerity people before profit who are up on 9%. Ivana Bacic, Labour are down two on 5%. You seem to have lost the left permanently if that's the case. Um, well, it, obviously, it's disappointing to see Labour losing. I see the Social Democrats are also down one, and um, as you've said, Sinn Fein are down two. It's a it's a strange poll to read. Clearly, there's a, there is a boost for the anti-austerity alliance people for profit. I think that can only be read as being due to their repeal the Eighth Amendment bill this week. I do think that that boost can be read as uh, as showing the huge level of support there is out there for a referendum on repeal the Eighth oh, Amendment. Or, it's something that's well, on which there's a real momentum growing, and it's undeniable. They were campaigning so. an awful lot as well. About about um, matters that were in court about young people who are appearing before courts. I mean, which is it? Is, is it that? Is it abortion? Or is it the fact that people want to vote for parties of the left that are not Labour? I suppose you could say there's a different, there's a, a range of different parties which are now claiming a left-wing perspective that um, you could say the, some of the independents are also doing that and figures are, are mixed for them too I think but I think that generally Labour is in the process as, we've, as we are aware of rebuilding we had a very very devastating election in uh, general election earlier this year and we're still in a rebuilding process so I think that's reflected in the poll I think we'll hope to go, move up from that I think the Social Democrats are going to be very disappointed to see where they are on it I see Renewa has fallen off the uh, page altogether yeah. so you know it's a but difficult not even in others as far as I can see it's a difficult time clearly for small parties but you know not forgetting that the more than half of the are still voting for both Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael so those parties are still up there whatever we may say about grains for the left clearly the you know there's still a, a centre holding but there even if you combine Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael together with their 26 and their 25 that brings you by my maths from when I went to school up to 51% <laughs> which means they're not exactly knocking it out of the park nor are you Regina that you're in government uh, with the party no, that's polling Jonathan, as a quarter was, of the electorate saying yeah, yes there was a, you there. a train of thought that the, the election <coughs> result last time was kind of a blip, you know, that it wasn't, we were all confused and we didn't really know how we were voting and that's why we got such a mishmash of um, the, the two and a half party system being, you know, disrupted. And there was genuinely a view, particularly I think from uh, Fianna Fáil, that the next election would correct that and we'd go back to the hefty days of, you know, 60, 70, 80 seats mm. um, and swap between, that's gone. 
It's well gone. And there is now a realisation, a new politics, for what it's worth, um, is allowing Irish people to see what's on offer from the AAA, PBP, that they never had in quite the same medium beforehand. And the Independence for Change and the Independence Alliance and Labour and the Social Democrats and the Greens Party. And they have far more speaking time in the chamber than they ever had before. And people can see that. I mean, you're government chief whip, you're painfully aware of the amount of legislation that is being passed. It's not Mm. exactly leading to a very productive Oireachtas, is it? Yeah, but again, I, I, I challenge Danny. He says there's nothing happening. First of all, you don't need legislation to have stuff that's happening. Um, sometimes stuff that's does need to be underpinned obviously, by legislation. Dawn, no, it's, it's not just about... The doll isn't just there to pass laws. It is obviously there to talk and discuss about different things and to make decisions. There is... We're not stagnant. We have one of the largest and most ambitious um, housing building programmes, you know, seen in 20 years. We have uh, all of the new efforts for... Um, self-employed social welfare people. We have the changes and the the reinstatement of stuff that was taken from people on social welfare payments over the last 10 years being started to be reinstated back to them and that was obviously underpinned by legislation. Um, There are things that are happening within Parliament that don't need legislation. But but also... We can can continue at the pace of legislation. No, but hold on, I'm just going to point out people have assumed that because there's instability in government and that we're not passing laws is the reason that legislation is not going through. That's not the reason. I only have five hours a week. Government time to pass legislation. Beforehand, in the last Parliament and Parliaments beforehand, we could have had 20 hours a week to pass legislation. I can't pass legislation when I don't have the hours to do it and I'm not allowed guillotine stuff in the same rates that heretofore other Parliaments or other dolls would have passed legislation. So it isn't because the government is inactive or we don't have ambitions. We have 600 different items in our programme for government I only have five hours a week to pass legislation and I cannot use a guillotine that's, that's one, the reason that's one argument but you also it's have to it's not an argument that's the reality but, have, but Regina that's, a, you know, that's one element of what's going on another huge element is that big decisions tough decisions are getting kicked down the line water charges bin charges third level fees down the line talking groups talking shops like committee hearings blah blah the abortion thing has now been kicked off the agenda essentially now until 2018 rather than actually tackle the hard decisions now because the political instability things are being long fingered you cannot deny it because that's happening across it's, the board I'm, I'm sorry and, and I can deny it the pay, the legislation com- I mean we're seeing that in the Shannon there's so little coming through to us um, I mean the doll has been called a do nothing doll that is the problem with it is this lack of legislative initiative and I think I think the benefit of new politics can be where we see private members bills being accepted and we've seen a few of those now in the Shannon that's a benefit but we need to see progress being made on those that where there is an agreement to have legislation through there, that it would come last, through last word on okay, this to Virginia I'm really sorry to be arguing with both of you. There is more time to debate private members' legislation in the Dáil every week than there is to to debate government legislation. I cannot possibly pass a law any quicker than we're passing it. We have 25 pieces of legislation on this session's um, legislation list that was listed between now and Christmas. It's certainly not because we have no ambition or plans, plans to pass legislation. Simple as that. I, d- I just have to make reference to one story. Um, Niamh Horan uh, has done a piece with Noel Rock of the Fine Gael Party, um, who was told he was at the Doyle Bar. Uh, Niamh Horan writes these things really well because she just paints this lovely Im- image. Uh, Noel Rock was at the Doyle Bar eating a toasted sandwich when a now former senator walked up. It's not you, Ivana. Um, <laughs> you're effing it up for the rest of us, they spat. At the time, Noel was a Dublin city councillor and just declined €600 Euros per month in tax-free unvouched event, uh, expenses. This week, the 28-year-old was once again getting it in the neck, having refused a TD's pay rise. 
the TD's pay rise isn't going to happen I'd, at this stage, Regina. I'd say everyone's going to have to hand it back under severe moral pressure, so he mightn't know Rock mightn't be under too much pressure. Well, you shouldn't need moral pressure to recognise it. If we haven't got the money to pay teachers and guards what they should be paid every month, you know, we already get paid well. And I'm not suggesting that we deviate from having TD's pays assigned to a civil servant's pay but there's nothing making anybody or stopping anybody from waving until such time that pay restoration has happened for the rest of the public service. Should, uh, and I don't know whether they've all agreed to that, should all Fine Gael TDs hand back uh, what's being offered? I, I can't and won't tell people what to do, right? Because as somebody in that article pointed out, the different people have different circumstances. But it's not rocket science. Like you shouldn't need to be told that in a, a climate where we don't have the money, the country doesn't have the money to do pay equal pay for equal work in our um, health sector, in our education sector, to pay guards more than 23 grand a year. You know, you shouldn't need to be told what to do. We're going to talk about uh, Hillary and Donald after the break. We'll have a look at on the sports pages as well. And uh, during the break, I'm going to ask the panel, do they know who the senator who might have said that's Noel Rock is? Stay with us. Uh, Richie, uh, good afternoon. Morning, morning, Jonathan. Even. Still, morning, yeah. Still Tend to let you, someone didn't get his extra hour of sleep, I'm guessing, this morning. <laughs> no, yeah. Now, with the children, uh, I'm reliably informed, didn't benefit from it either, according <laughs> to my once good lady. Once have children, there's several hours less sleep. Indeed. Um, but the good news is that we, we're all here and made it in on time. Um, what have you got, um, first of all, in the newspapers this morning? What caught your eye? Yeah, there's, there's plenty around uh, of, of pretty uh, decent substance. Paul Kimmage is writing about Colin McCarran, the Tyrone player who's just released his, uh, his autobiography and has had uh, quite the checkered background within the past few years it has to be said uh, to say the least uh, so Paul's gotten a decent two pages out of him we've also seen David Walsh return to the issue of the Stepanovs who you'll recall were the whistleblowers who have led to so much investigation and so much um, I suppose fallout for Russia in particular in terms of doping and WADA investigations and so on and so forth uh, so Walsh has been catching up with those and I suppose the spectre of the Olympics still hanging over us especially with the report into the OCI during the week too Shane McGrath's writing about that on the back page of the title and saying that the OCI is a joke with never any punchlines have become utterly irrelevant to our athletes and it's something that has to be said that we all got a sense of over in Rio is that it's this I suppose you could look at it in terms of being the moon and the Irish athletes being the tides and that yes it's in control but it's this remote thing that you're never going to reach and never going to have any real uh, dealings with and ultimately change is required and will come about in the next few months in the OCI it's quite a, what is odd though yeah. is that it took this <laughs> to, to, to actually bring this epiphany to the OCI that having someone yeah. in position for so long is not a particularly good idea in terms of governance well strangely enough it's a, it's an outside opinion suddenly bearing down on the OCI whereby it just hadn't been the case for the last 20 odd years and ultimately you can see why Mr Hickey stayed in charge for so long uh, lots on off the ball this afternoon as well probably nothing as dramatic as Mourinho being sent off yesterday which uh, uh, everyone no. watching thought was quite funny um, what have you got we've got two live Premier League games we've got Everton versus West Ham um, I suppose Everton are starting to really wobble there are a few games without a win I think it's five now without a win in all competitions and West Ham who of course are delighted just to be away from home uh, for the moment they got their uh, well a rare win uh, back at the Olympic Stadium last week but they're, they're on the road to Everton this afternoon at Goodison Park Dave's going to be there for us from half one and then we're going to have Southampton Chelsea Chelsea really now motoring under Antonio Conte as we saw last week on the show when they put four past Manchester United without reply and looked really good in doing it it wasn't as if it was just an abject performance that allowed them in they were an impressive side and Antonio Conte has really gotten his way with this Chelsea side now and we'll see if they can continue on those uh, fine form against Southampton who themselves not a bad side I have a brother who's an Arsenal fan um, God love him guy, he's had it well I have another brother who's a Leeds fan so it's oh, worse geez, for him yeah. but the Arsenal fan is he right to have a little bit of hope this year on the back of what has been a very bad run it's always the same thing at this point in the season whereby you kind of go yeah well they have all the horses to kind of do it and 
and they look impressive at the moment and when they're on form they're on form and when they score goals they score plenty of them it's going to be that period over you know December, January, February when injury, injuries start to bear down on the squad again and we see the same old failings from an Arsenal side but you know we may all be proved wrong this season Liverpool are another side in with the show too as they proved yesterday they're leaky as all hell but they can <laughs> score as many goals as they fancy Alright off the ball on the way from 12 o'clock two big matches this afternoon Richie McCormick thank you very much uh, for that uh, uh, my panel this afternoon or this morning I keep saying this afternoon as the hour is confusing me uh, Regina Doherty who's a Fianna Gael TD for Meath East Ivana Badgic Labour Senator and Dan Daniel McConnell, political editor for the Irish Examiner. There's a story on the front of the Sunday Times, Ivana. Voters may tackle quickie divorce. Irish voters could face a divorce referendum before an abortion poll as a Fine Gael proposal to reduce the compulsory waiting time for separated couples appears to face no opposition, even from the Iona Institute, who they have singled out in the article. What's this about? This is about a private member's bill. Actually, it's interesting because t- we were talking earlier mm. about private member's bills currently having much more prospect of success. This is from a Fine Gael TD, Josefa Madigan, who's proposed changing the current rule. And in the constitution at the moment, as we know from the divorce referendum in 1995, it requires that in order to divorce, people must have been separated for four out of the previous five years. So it's a really big hurdle for many it was, people it was seeking built divorce. In, I remember at the time because I was studying law at that exact moment and it was built in to try and prevent people from rushing to divorce before exhausting all of their it options. It was a sort of a sop to the Conservative yes, side really yeah. and it was seen as a way in, of ensuring the divorce referendum was passed. Now people remember the original divorce referendum of 86 had failed and uh, and in fact in 95 it only just passed so it was thought that that was uh, probably quite a, a good strategy although many of us especially lawyers had real issue at the time with this that it was placing this unnecessary hurdle right into the constitution and sure enough it's now become seen especially I mean talking to anyone working in family law as a hugely problematic thing for many people that they have to prove separation for four out of the previous five it's very hard particularly if you don't have finances you have to set up two separate households in one house you know so all sorts of different issues so the bill is proposes to reduce the waiting time to two years I think frankly we needed an amendment to take that provision out altogether and I hope we will see that referendum coming through in the lifetime of this government I mean it does seem I mean interestingly the Iona Institute are now quoted as saying they wouldn't oppose a referendum on this I don't see anyone frankly opposing it I think we're all now used to the idea that divorce is legal in Ireland hasn't led to a floodgates you know our divorce rates are still pretty low or a flight of or a flight, yes, and, yes, and people might remember. But you know, I have an ability, and actually, that Justine McCarthy talks about also in the Sunday Times that I'm proposing to introduce in the next couple of weeks again to re- to amend the constitution to change the pr- present position where anyone being elected president, appointed to the judiciary or the Council of State, must swear a religious oath. And what I would propose is we amend the constitution so that people could instead pr- uh, provide a declaration or an affirmation. In other words, for people who are not believers in mm. in, uh, in in a religion, that they could do that instead, as we do for witnesses and so on in Grim. Do not go trials. further and replace the prayer at the start of the I've already session. done that in oh, the yeah. Shannon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, in fact, some years ago I tried to abolish the prayer altogether. Well, no, I did. I, I did. In fact, we reached, I think, a very good compromise, which is we now have a 60 seconds, a minute of silence at the start of Shannon business every single day to mark the fact that the prayer does not represent many people. There. And then the, we the have the best the 60 seconds <laughs> in the entire day to proceed. Well, yes, that joke has been made. But I thought it was a good compromise and it's actually in the spirit of that compromise that I'm proposing this bill. So I hope we'll see the government accept the bill I think it will receive widespread support as this bill on divorce well, will we and we might see then referendum, you know, a referendum day yeah. to amend well, the constitution that, in ways that are kind of less contentious That's perhaps. my question to Regina Doherty is you know we have the this constitutional uh, review group going on looking into the Eighth Amendment and a plethora of other issues that aren't uh, arguably as interesting um, Climate change is very interesting the, like, the likelihood well being discussed by a group of 99 people from around the country um, the likelihood of this getting on is it going to 
could it possibly happen? I know it seems to be Fianna Gael supported, at least from Josepha Madigan. I think it will happen. Actually, what's interesting is that Ivana has just said is how far we've come in 22 years because there's nobody objecting to it. Um, And it actually shows that when we have referendums, people really do feed into the fears that the opposition put out to those referendums. Go go back, I was only a kid when this one was coming out and we were all told that our children, our daddies were going to leave us. It didn't happen. And we don't have the rise of, or an increase of uh, marital breakdown just because we made it easier to get a divorce. Getting five years to be separated is not easy. Mm. You know, Um, actually I'd even... Josephus brought this forward because she is a lawyer she's worked in this particular area she knows number one how difficult it is as Ivana has said yeah. to set up um, a separate household in the same household because people don't have the ability to be able to just swan off and buy a second house but also it just feeds money into the legal system whereby it's a difficult time for people who are separating in the first place I'd nearly actually reduce the two years to one year or, to, yeah. or take but anyway, it out of the constitution yeah. and le- mm. let, it, yeah. let it be in legislation a matter for legislation yeah. indeed well uh, that, that might be something that happens more than once in the course of the next few years yeah. two issues before we finish up um, Daddy, the FBI mm. putting out this leak. Well, it's not a leak; it's a fact that they they're now looking at uh, Anthony Weiner's laptop, which is presumably <coughs> quite a daunting task in the first place, uh, and that it has impacted hugely on Hillary's campaign. Uh, that there may be emails that the FBI might still look mm. into that might be or might not be something. Have they just given Trump? a clearer run in the final few days of this election campaign? Well, they've certainly kept him alive because I certainly would have thought that, you know, as hated as Hillary is, and she is clearly hated by a huge proportion of of the American population, and I've described this race really as the evil of two lessers rather than, you know, the lesser of two evils. Um, But what we are, I suppose, seeing here now is... You know, this gives Trump and all his conspiracy theories oxygen just to kind of ram it home for the last few days. I still think she'll win. I still think, you know, we're, we're facing into a Hillary Clinton, you know, term of office. Um, but this is going to hang over her, presumably, when, true, but when I, she gets but, in there. But I, I think she's won on you know, the grounds that she's not under... Like, you know, they made a decision previously a couple of months ago that there was no criminal charges to face on this particular one. Now, if they get to a stage where they look at it again and they do say that she has a further case to answer or has a new case to answer then that's that's a step up this is just we're investigating it it's just it's muddy, it's a muddying of the waters a few days out from the election which will give Trump a bit of a lift but I still think she's enough to see him off the, the, the nature <laughs> of this and how it has come out though I mean I mentioned Anthony Weiner and, and to people who can't remember who that particular individual is he's the guy who took pictures of parts of himself that he shouldn't have and he was being investigated by the FBI because he sent them to a minor which is obviously a very serious impact and and the fact Regina that this guy of all people in the Democratic Party is the one now who's coming back to, to haunt, haunt Hillary I think actually it's um, it's blatantly political the move that the FBI did this week because if they wanted to do what they said they wanted to do which was to not mislead Congress based on their last statement well then they should have released the emails that they were investigating in and let the either Congress and the public decide for but themselves is it, Are we implying a motive that mightn't necessarily be there? I mean Ivana you're the lawyer uh, Well I must say looking at I would agree with Regina on this looking at the front of the Sunday Times they point out James Comey the director of the FBI who has who wrote this letter to Congress this bombshell that Hillary's Clinton's campaign is described as an articulated truck. This letter, you know, he was a republic. He is a Republican. He sent the letter over the objections of his boss, the Attorney General Loretta Lynch, and officials told him it risked compromising the FBI by involving it directly in a presidential election mm. just days before voting day. The timing is clearly off, and why he wouldn't simply release all the emails rather than leave this cloud hanging over. And I know Hillary Clinton's done a statement, I think, this morning saying she Calling wants to see the emails. The, the emails should be released mm. rather than have this cloud, which the Trump campaign is. Clear 
clearly going to exploit. But it is ironic that the week that the Ecuadorian embassy in London uh, shut down Julian Assange's internet access so that his, he couldn't send out emails in order to disrupt or intervene in a presidential race in a democratic state. We see the FBI now intervening mm. at such a close call to the election day. So I think it's 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 disturbing to see I it. I do hope Hillary wins in spite of everything. Less but, it is. Uh, come, make it harder for her. Come election time, stick to pen and paper. It's probably the easiest thing to do. And, and just finally, who's a Bob Dylan fan amongst us here? Any Dylan fans? I wouldn't be his greatest fan now, I have to say. No, a no, one-trick no. pony who's... No. You know. Well, I... <laughs> That's a little harsh. Who happened to win the I'm Nobel not. Prize for Literature? I can't, I can't, I can't make excuses for the people on the Nobel panel. But um, no, I wouldn't be Dylan's biggest fan now. No. Well, isn't it something he said? And he says, if at all possible, he's going to make having annoyed the Swedish, which let's face it is quite a difficult thing to do. He annoyed the Swedish for weeks on end. He's he's agreed that he's finally going to go and attend. But does does anyone really care if he turns up on the day? He got the prize, and that's it, isn't it? It looks like a snob if he doesn't turn mm-hmm. up. I must say, I thought it was strange he wouldn't. I'm not as huge as either but I thought it was a, a good gesture to sort of I suppose make the Nobel Prize a bit more ex- inclusive perhaps of, of uh, others beyond you know beyond you know to the normal people out, who get yeah, it yeah, as actors. well so I thought it was a good gesture but I mean he then sort of seemed to really undermine it by making having this strange response to it where he wasn't welcoming it as any he, normal person he, he was do, he was sticking to the bit though that's his thing he's kind of reclusive and you go to people who go to I his concerts I say spent 120 quid to go see him playing in the uh, the three arena and not once do you say even hello Dublin you're kind of going make an effort come on <laughs> so the root of all of this is that you felt you didn't get you're your 120 yeah, yeah, euros yeah, 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 I feel cheated, I feel cheated. <laughs> uh, Regina Doherty Fine Gael TD for me the Eastern Government Chief Whip of Anabagic Labour Senator Daniel McConnell of the Irish Examiner go out and finish the last little bit of the marathon there the three of you and we'll talk to you again soon